Camping's not going to be much fun this winter without campfires. Yes, it's been a relatively dry winter out in and around Evanston, Wyoming. Our operator and expert mechanic Martin Herman told me this week, as you heard up top. That follows a series of dry seasons, and for the company he hauled for almost exclusively through the year, uh, the Dustbusters provider of road de-icers and stabilizers for dusty gravel roads, the fairly moderate amount of snow has put a bit of a damper on winter business. That hasn't stopped working the shop, though. On a beauty of a 1980 Kenworth W900A Herman and crew in the shop, that's owner Craig Preet, shop foreman Cole Potter, Mechanics Kip Knight and Austin Oliver, and oh, they put a couple of months' work uh, leading into January into a full-on rebuild of the unit, as you'll hear momentarily. Yet another W900A associated with owner-operator Herman. I'm Todd Dills. This is the Overdrive Radio Podcast for February 5, 2021, and regular listeners will no doubt recall Herman's own 1970 model W900A from our detail of it back last summer. Find a link to that past podcast in the show notes or via the story that houses this edition at overdriveonline.com slash overdrive hyphen radio. What we're also going to be getting up to today on the podcast is a tour back down I-75 in Kentucky in search of an answer to the age-old question of, hey, who has the best nanner pudding among the truck stops along that route and which one of them was the first to advertise it on the CB? We're taking a run back through some trucking micro-history with our own long-haul Paul Marhofer via another edition in the Over the Road podcast series, originally produced by PRX's Radiotopia in collaboration with us here at Overdrive. It originally aired uh, back early last year, and it's a veritable caper of an episode, so hang on. Before we get there, disc brakes versus drum brakes. I want to hear your thoughts on the tube for a story I'm working on. Advantages, disadvantages of both, the process of conversion, if anyone in the audience has done that, drop me a message at 530-408-6423 to weigh in. Make sure to note your name and location with any message. Here's what Martin Herman had to say about the trade-offs he sees between the two in his operation. Um, you know, the there's good points. There's some bad, you know, either direction you go. Yeah. The disc brakes tend to not get as hot as fast, you know, and they're they're probably better brake stopping power. But okay. when you do the jobs that we do and you the spread trucks that I haul to, they don't even know the meaning of the word dry road and it's always mud, you know. It's that mag water that we put on those dusty dirt roads. So they're always running in the mud and the disc brakes tend to be open a lot more than the drum brakes obviously but seems like they catch a lot more garbage you know anytime you have dirt or mud or salt or road debris that's getting in into the working parts it's always going to be you know more aware and obviously rust i think the disc brakes are effective i think they're like for road trucks i think they're probably an awesome deal just because of the fact that they don't trap the heat so bad. But it seems like when you put them in a dirty environment like we run in there, they're a little more, they're a little too open right. to the elements. In that 1980 W900A I uh, mentioned at the top, here's Herman detailing a good bit of the work that went into it. This truck that I had a hand in restoring, uh, Belongs to the company uh, Dustbusters in Evanston, Wyoming, um, that I've pulled for for the last four years. And uh, actually, the very first truck he ever bought, 1980 Kenworth uh, W900A, it was a short hood when we pulled it in the shop. And uh, it had a Kenworth eight bag rear suspension, and the gears in the rear end, it would only run about 55 or 60 mile an hour. So the first thing we done was strip it from the cab back down to bare frame rails, took all the cross members out, welded all the holes shut, sanded them all down, repainted the frame, and then we rolled uh, a, a, it's actually a Volvo corporate rear four bag air suspension under it that's got four, 342 rear end gear ratio. 
so they're a lot faster. We could get up the highway speeds with them and redrilled all the holes. And then one thing led to another, and we decided to put a B model CAT 3406 in it instead of a 400 Cummins. And with that, we done a 13 speed double over transmission. This thing knows has no clue what speed limit means. Uh, on a 70 mile an hour highway out here, you could get a ticket in 11th gear and you still got two more to go. Like I said, it was a standard hood when we started on it. And uh, it's sat here for 25 years and nothing ever really done with it. So we moved the cab back 12 inches so we could put the extended hood on it. Ordered a new hood from TrueFit in Oklahoma. And that is the nicest fiberglass reproduction hood I've ever seen. We didn't even have to do any body work on it. Just sand it and prime it and paint it. Uh, pretty much every component in that truck is brand new. Wheels, tires, tanks, uh, drive lines, transmission, the motor, uh, the hood, all the stainless steel on it's new. And they were wanting to build a flatbed to haul the super sacks, the salt that we bag up and sell around the area. And we wanted to do a roll-off bed on it, tow bed, so that it was a little more versatile than just a flatbed tractor. Uh, so we purchased, purchased a wrecker that had this tow bed on it. The, the chassis in that wrecker was no good. So we moved it over to this one. and. It's uh, been a fun project. We took it from driving it into the shop to the pictures that you have, the final pictures. We did that in about 16 weeks. There was a week for Christmas that we didn't work, but it was pretty much just as hard as we could go. That's pretty quick. Yeah. When did, when did you finish up exactly? Was it uh, was in January here? Yeah, right around the end of yeah, let's just say the 1st of January. I put all new interior okay. in it today that we got from Day Cab Company down there in Tennessee where you're at. And, uh, man, it's beautiful. We put leather seats in it. They're gray leather. And then we had the interior matched to the gray of the seats, and we did blue buttons. It's diamond tuft. And them guys down there at Day Cab Company, I have never seen that kind of quality in interior panels in my life. They do an extremely sweet job on that. The tow bed that we bought for it had a goofy aluminum headache rack on it, and we didn't like it. So we bought a, a chest-style headache rack like you'd put on a flatbed truck that's got toolboxes in it. And then we mm -hmm. took the doors off and had stainless doors made for it. And we painted the aluminum headache rack to match the truck. And the center door, we shortened it. It was three same size doors. We shortened the middle door and put the hydraulic reservoir in that cabinet and put a window okay. in it to look out of the back window of the truck. We did, or I did hardwood floor in it. It's got kind of a gray barnwood looking hardwood floor in it. Um, brand new leather seats. The dash is all digital gauges, and then all the dash panels I fabricated. Um, Cole Potter, the mechanic, the shop foreman here, he hydro dipped them. And if if I could get you some decent pictures, that dash has got it's blue, but it's got black and gray skulls in it. Everything in there: the window cranks, the speaker covers, the radio face plate, the frame uh, around the back window everything that we could the dash we hydro dipped and it all matches in the blue and black and gray find a few pictures of the unit uh featuring that roll off that he mentions uh, in the post that houses this podcast via overdriveonline.com slash overdrive hyphen radio and keep tuned to our custom rig section there for a, a video treatment and more detail on the unit in the upcoming weeks it's a beauty of a day cab put together by a solid team there at dustbusters before we begin our track down I-75, a quick word from Overdrive Radio's sponsor. If you're a leased owner-operator, you need quality insurance to keep you protected. Call First Guard for the commercial truck insurance you need and the service you deserve. First Guard is the trucker's insurance company. We understand your needs and offer physical damage and non-trucking liability insurance for leased owner-operators. With First Guard, you always get fast and friendly service. Visit firstguard.com. That's the number one, stguard.com. 
First Guard. We speak trucker. Let's talk. Long haul Paul, ladies and gentlemen. Back probably 10 or 11 years ago, we did a survey on the trucks that go up and down this road. So we know now that we're doing at least 10 to 12,000 trucks a day. So we advertise to let all the new people out here know we're here. You take a right, we're west of the interstate, you'll see a bunch of trucks here. We advertise our fuel price, our food specials. Oh, honey, we've got a full menu and everything's good here. If you just want to take a break, you know, stop in, see us. Oh, man, Lord, I'm I was one of those new people once, hauling down I-75 through Kentucky for the first time. This was the late 80s. And it's difficult to understate the hunger for the human voice among your average truck driver back then. I mean, you had your CB radio, whatever AM FM stations you could pick up, maybe a few verbal jabs from the forklift driver 300 miles back, and that was about it. The wait staff at these Kentucky truck stops understood that hunger all too well. They were like the sirens of the CB. There was something about the way they called you honey that just drew the Yankee boys in like flies. Honey, they're good, I promise. Not to mention that one special that's always on the menu. And drivers, don't forget, we also the homemade nanner nanner pudding. The nanner nanner pudding. Yum, yum, yum. Come and get you some. It's like a refrain at these places, all along this stretch of I-75. So today on the show, we're going to settle once and for all the question of who started this whole nanner nanner pudding thing. Mm-hmm. It's at I'm taking you on a tour of my favorite Kentucky truck stops. I'm talking about those little mom and pop operations that are still holding out against the big chains. The kind of places that used to have phones at each table and might not even have gas pumps, just diesel. We're going to hit up three of these stops, working our way south from exit 76 to exit 62, and finally, exit 49. So sit tight. I'm Long Haul Paul, and from PRX's Radiotopia and Overdrive magazine, this is Over the Road. These days, the mom-and-pop truck stop is a dying breed. Part of the problem is that company drivers like me are actually instructed to fuel up only at one of the big chain stops, like Pilot and Loves. That's because the more fuel our company buys, the more of a discount we get. That puts these independent establishments at a real disadvantage. But even if I can't fuel here anymore... I still like to wheel in when I can. All right. These truck stops remind me of my better days as a trucker. Back when I was still sporting that mullet and a tan. They remind me of when I owned that canary yellow Western Star and diesel was 79 cents a gallon. Maybe it's like seeing an old relative who can bear witness to what you once were before life had its way with you. It was so good to see you, and now, and after I saw, I was like, oh, I know him. That's how it is with Karen Bray, manager of the 76 Fuel Center. (laughs) I might forget your name, but probably not your face once I see you, so. One of those little accidents of history The truck stop was originally built in 1976, right here at Exit 76. That was just the name it got because of the exit here. But it's changed a lot since then. 
The kind of place that just keeps growing under the pressure of pure necessity, with no central planning whatsoever. Back many years ago, this little area that we're sitting here in was a truck wash, and then part of it was a garage. When the owners decided to add on a restaurant, they used what materials they had. This dining room here is actually a trailer from a truck. Namely, the wooden floor and fiberglass sides of an old semi-trailer. And it was just cut out and pulled in and attached to the old truck, stomped their part there. The restaurant was made onto that, and that's what you see in there now. My old friend Big Jim calls it the Dry Box Cafe. The walls are still lined with E-tracks, those metal strips that we use to secure cargo inside of a trailer. The floors are a hodgepodge of hardwood, linoleum, and painted plywood. There's a certain bombed-out beauty to it all, repurposed long before repurposing was cool. You know, uh, we've been talking about the whole nanner pudding thing and the whole, you know, you know, the arguments, who had the first nanner pudding. Uh, can you, do you want to weigh in on that, Karen? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I actually think we did. And here it is, the opening salvo. Uh, Miss Jane Cummins built this truck stop in 1976. And that was one of Miss Jane's famous things is the, the nanner, nanner, nanner pudding. And, and that's all I've known. I've been doing this 30 years. And as long as I ever knew, Miss Jean Cummins was the original lady that started that right here at this little truck stop. Well, there you have it. The nanner, nanner, nanner pudding, you know. And, and I'm honestly, I do believe that we were the first. So with our first testimonial in hand, my wife Denise and I decide to sit down for breakfast. I just can't resist that pan-fried Kentucky cornbread. It's a special treat to eat like this out on the road. That's because at a lot of the big truck stops, there's nothing but fast food chains, really. And as often happens at a mom and pop like this, we find ourselves talking with the driver at the next table. I am Kathy Simmons, and I have been trucking for 34 years. And the mom and pops, as we call them, no brand names, no chains, no nothing, and everything are falling by the wayside. And I would rather sit down, be able to take my time, than to go ahead and have fast food, which is what is pushed down my throat all the time. Kathy actually sees a connection here with the issue of electronic logging and hours of service which we've been talking about since the start of the series. You're screwed. Pardon my French. The constant ticking of the 14-hour clock can make it feel like a waste of time to stop for a meal. You know, we have obesity in trucking. We've always had obesity, but not like what we do now. And part of that is because we're not able to stop. We're not able to go ahead and actually just kind of get out and just take our time because 14-hour clock, once that sucker starts, there's no stopping it. Kathy has an interesting perspective on all this because she's actually been around truck stops since she was a kid. I can remember my mom. She used to work at a truck stop as a waitress, and she had her regulars that came in all the time, all the time. And eventually, she became one of those regulars. Like any longtime trucker, She's got her favorite stops. Marlin Truck Stop, Casey Jones Village, The Ranch House, Dixie Truck Stop, Boise Stage Stop. In every corner of the country. Merkel, Texas. Tonopah, Arizona. Ontario, Oregon. Sinclair, Wyoming. Going across I-80 in Nebraska. Rapid City, South Dakota. She knows where the food is best. Best country fried steak there was. Best Mexican burritos there was for the best. Chicken and noodle soup. Where the portions are biggest. Steak was a good six to eight inches on the plate. Pancakes are the size of a 12-inch plate, half-inch thick. An inch and a half thick pork chop. But she also knows that these places are about more than just food and diesel. Go ahead and get the corner booth. Or go ahead and push a couple of tables together 10, 12 of us at a time. Bullshit and pardon the French again, but that's basically what it is. And that's what was the best about the mom and pops. 
and everything is because you could do that and they didn't care. I wonder if that's why Kathy keeps coming back to these places. Because like me, they remind her of better days. Do we have the camaraderie that we used to have? No. And she tells me this story. We were running second husband coming back across 54 one night, almost into Clovis, New Mexico. She and her husband, Jerry, were hauling in a convoy with a couple of reefers when the lead truck hit a cow and went off the road. He had to go to the hospital. His truck was still drivable. I drove our truck. Jerry drove his truck to the truck stop there in Clovis. We took his keys into the truck stop, told them where he was at, and they asked, is it reefer or dry? Reefer, is the, is the tank full? Yes, it is. We'll keep an eye out on it. We'll check on it. That's what we did. That's what you do. You know, it's a loner job in a way, but also, too, you can meet people out here on the road. You can talk to them. You may never see them again. And then again, five, ten years down the road, you may run into them again at a truck stop. You may not remember the name, but you'll remember the face. And you'll go, you know, hey, how you doing? You know, you know, you know, what you know. We're a family. That, that doesn't usually happen at a subway. No. No, it does not. So, yeah, but where I'm at today, when I'm over here on 75, this is where I usually go ahead and stop. But if, you know, if they're still here in another 10, 15 years, we'll be blessed. If not, the only way anybody will remember it is the stories that are told. easily sit and talk all day, but it's time to move along to exit 62, the Derby City South Truck Plaza. I usually stop at Derby City when I'm headed south. That's because there's a hard uphill pull when you get back on the interstate going northbound, but there's a nice downhill slope going south. That's the way Denise and I are headed, so I fire up the CB to see what they're serving. Down that Derby City, you, you got a copy on me down there, little mama? Hello, come here, come on, mate. I should really explain here that when one talks on the CB radio, it's important to speak like you're from two states south of where you're actually from. Uh, this here is Derby City. That's right. I once carried on with a cowboy trucker like this for a good three or four hundred miles through Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and onto the islands only to learn that old Tex was actually a Long Island Jew. Me, I was just a papist boy whose folks hailed from Chicago. Here's the thing, though. Say you go down to Kentucky and talk on the CB like some dull Midwesterner. Nobody will ever answer you. But if you sound a little bit like old Carl, who just got released from the nervous hospital, well, you can make friends pretty quick. Now, what's y'all's daily special? Wow, oh, this is Derby City Environmental Tanker Truck. You don't want what I got, come on. Oh, you got that hazardous waste? No dirty landfill water, come on. Well, now, that won't do. Now, I was trying to get a hold of little mama over there at the Derby City. I guess this radio ain't getting out. Mm-hmm. I know they got that biscuit and mustard and, uh... Then, through the static, comes another voice. Yeah, Derby City. She promises fried catfish, free coffee, and of course, the nanner nanner pudding. So I wheel in to investigate. The Derby City South Truck Plaza is a different kind of place. It wasn't a truck wash that decided to serve food. It looks like an actual restaurant, nicely appointed with booths and tables. Sure, it doesn't have the makeshift charm of the 76er, but I have a special fondness for this place. You see, back in the Great Recession, around 08, when you might wait a week to get a load out of Indiana 
and money was really tight, I came up with a side gig. What I'd do is I'd buy 20 or 30 watermelons down in Florida for a dollar apiece, pile them in the trailer with whatever else I was hauling, then sell them for two bucks, two and a half bucks, along I-75. The Derby City was my number one spot, thanks to this woman. My name's Janet. I worked here at the Derby City Truck Stop 25 years. Janet waited tables, and she would let me come in and sell those watermelons right in the restaurant. Back then, it seems Janet was always here. I always told the drivers I wore out two floors in here. Because <laughs> they replaced the floor twice. I said, I wore it out walking it. Well, I had never waitress before in my life. And my mother's neighbor was the manager here. And she kept begging me to come to work here. And it took her a year to talk me into it because I'd never, I said, I'm not waitress material. I was really shy backwards. And um, these drivers brought me out of that quick. Some of them called me the mud flap girl, the girl on the mud flaps when I was younger. They said I was built like her and that's what they would call me. And I, I would say, y'all hush. They'd say, get on the counter and pose like her. I said, get out of here. I actually first met Janet because a fellow driver I knew was just crazy about her. I call him Jake. He came in and he was like, oh my God, oh my God. Jake decided that Janet looked exactly like a certain country music star. Tammy Wanette. He says I look like Tammy Wanette. So he called her Tammy and it kind of caught on. A lot of the customers, they would also call me Tammy. And this one guy, he really thought that was my name. This is a type of nonsense that truck stop waitresses put up with all the time. But Janet had a special way of handling herself with such drivers. Actually, my first day on the fuel desk, I sold a record amount of fuel. And you know what really done it? I would get on the radio and I'd say, they'd say, what do you look like? I said, well, honey, they call me four by four. I'd say, I'm four foot tall, four foot wide, and 400 pounds. And this driver came in and said, she's lying to y'all. I said, no, you tarp your load with a pair of my bloomers like that, you know. And uh, he said, guys, she's lying. She's about five foot 10, 125 pounds, and she's gorgeous. Well, the rest of the day, that kept on and on and on, and they were just pouring in here buying fuel because of that. Yeah, she flat went CB viral there for a while. I've heard, I've probably heard every pickup line you could ever imagine. This driver come in and kept aggravating my phone number, so I just made up a number and gave it to him. And he came back a couple weeks later. He said, that wasn't the right number. I said, what do you mean that wasn't the right number? He said, that was a nursing home. I said, hell, that's where I live. I said, they let me come to work so I could pay my rent. But it was just a joke, you know. And he just died laughing. There's several times when they came really aggravating. I would give them the sheriff's department phone number. <laughs> but I was always real quick with the comeback, you know? Drivers would always tell them, don't mess with her, man. You can't get nothing over on her. But for me, like when I worked here and I was raising four kids by myself, you know, my life outside of here was rough. <laughs> it was rough. So it was like when I walked through these doors, I forgot about being a mother, what I dealt with at home. And it was like a getaway for me, actually. It became a getaway because I cut up and carried on with the drivers so much and enjoyed my job so much. But then when I walked out the door, I was back to being mom again, you know? It, it, this job really helped me. It really did. That's why I was here the 25 years. The person that said, she couldn't be a waitress, wasn't waitress material, became to love it. it are we on recording? Okay, then you better ask questions because I don't want to rattle on. After our lunch of soup beans and fried catfish, we're lucky enough to run into the owner of the Derby City. I am Evelyn Mitchell Folks call her Miss Evelyn. And I live in Mount Vernon, Kentucky, and that's where this 
Derby City South Truck Plaza sits. Exit 62. That's my favorite number. <laughs> Ms. Evelyn's a busy woman, so we get right down to business. So the mystery is the nanner nanner pudding. Where did the nanner pudding start? Naturally, Ms. Evelyn says it all started right here. We're in the country, and they called a potato a tater, and a tomato a mater. And that nanner nanner pudding, yum, yum, come and get you some. And I don't know, it just caught on and everybody is... It became a thing. It became a thing. Okay, we've heard this kind of argument before up at the 76, but Miss Evelyn offers us her take, wrapped in a history lesson. Let's see, I opened in 68. It started sometime in the 70s, I'd say. And that's how we get into the unlikely story of how she became the owner of a truck stop. Owsley County, Boonville. Evelyn was born way out in the eastern tip of Kentucky. No way to get there from here. <laughs> Where she worked in the fields. I was strong and tomboyish. Not in the kitchen. Didn't know how to cook when I married. When Evelyn left home, she didn't know what a CB handle was. Handle, but we have several pots and pans that have handles. <laughs> and she and didn't even like country music. Well, I listened to classical, and I listened to Barbra Streisand, Nat King Cole. Yet here she is, running a truck stop. It's a long story, but I was a school teacher. My oldest daughter was in college. And all at once, I couldn't pay for her tuition. And so I just decided I'd have to do something different. And there was this little rinky-dink truck building. The bank was repossessing it, and they wanted someone to take over the payments. I just jumped in with both feet up to my ears and took it over, just taught every day. Went over at nighttime, and and yes, I can do repair work. <laughs> I know how to miter and how to drive nails and how to saw and how to hang drywall and how to finish it. So that's how I got started. But it gets better because that was just her first truck stop. The Derby City North opened in 1968. She and her husband ran that stop together until she found out that he was stealing from her. Two things you don't mess with me, that's my family and my money. <laughs> and he had taken that money and leased a bit of land. Then he couldn't finish what he had started, and so uh, in order to keep himself out of jail and to get my money back, I took the lease over and built it from scratch. And that bit of land is where she built the Derby City South, where we're sitting right now. In 1986, we opened. And when I came down here, I'm going, oh my gosh. <laughs> so just to recap, Ms. Evelyn has been in the truck stop game since she opened her first business in 1968. And according to her, that's where the nanner pudding started. Yum, yum. You know this. And it spread across the country. There's copycats everywhere, you know. She doesn't name names, but there's no doubt who she's talking about. Uh, the, our neighbor down there, they picked up our saying and copied it. <laughs> Could she be talking about the 49er fuel center just down the road? That's the third of my favorite Kentucky truck stops. After the break, we head there for answers. And I'll introduce you to my favorite singing waitress in all of Appalachia. You, you do know the story behind the nanner pudding, no, don't you? No, I don't know the story. Okay, so we visited the 76er, we visited Derby City, now all that's left is the 49er. It's not far south of Derby City, but you feel the difference. 
We are definitely in the mountains now. What they call the Cumberland Plateau. The 49er Fuel Center is surrounded by nothing, just hills and trees. But when we stop by, the place is busy. Typical today is wait on a hundred people or more. And we're in luck. My old friend Genevieve is in the middle of a 12-hour shift. Well, I wore a phone on me for about a month, and I average anywhere from 6 miles a day to 15 to 18 miles a day, depending on how busy we are. I'll tell you how I became close with Genevieve. I've been coming in here for years and never said much. Sometimes you could hear Genevieve singing while she worked. And so one day I took a chance and gave her my CD. Turned out she was working on an album herself. We kind of became musician buddies. A poor man's dollar. good. The clientele here is mixed today. Some four-wheelers stopping in for gas. A retired couple in their RV. And more than a few truck drivers. Uh, I'm, I'm everybody's psychiatrist. I'm everybody's nurse. Uh, I'm everybody's bring your food. I'm, every, I'm, I'm a lot of things to a lot of drivers. But when she has a spare minute, Genevieve gives us her take on the nanner pudding. At the 76, they're saying it started up there. The 62, saying it started with them. Do you have an opinion on that? Well, my opinion is it started right here at the 49er. And they've called it nanner, 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 nanner pudding for many, many, many years. And like Miss Evelyn, Genevieve has a theory. But I think they've just all three copied it because at one time the owner here was over all the other two as well. Turns out that the owner of the 49er used to own the other fuel stops, not the restaurants, but just the fuel business. That fuel company called Spur Oil is the one connection between all these stops. It all came from Spur Oil. The plot thickens. That said, I believe I'd like some nanner pudding. I figure it's time to get a taste of what this whole controversy is all about. Thank you. We gotta get your first reaction to the banana pudding. That's good stuff right there. And just when I think we've gotten to the bottom of this thing, Genevieve throws in another curveball. That's awfully good nanner pudding. Well, I don't call it nanner pudding. I call it banana pudding. Because <laughs> they call it nanner pudding. And you, you do know the story behind the nanner pudding, no, don't you? Is, no, I don't know the story. Well, it's a sexual story, so I really don't want to comment on it. That's what nanner, nanner, nanner pudding is. It's the, guy, the guys coming in to get the female. That's what that is. That's what the nanner nanner pudding well, see, is. I always thought that that there was that undertone. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're not allowed to say nanner pudding. We all say banana pudding. Sure enough, that very day we had heard it for ourselves out on the road. Now, honey, we just banana pudding. You have a good day, honey. Well, that's the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. <laughs> You found the bottom of it. <laughs> but you edit some of that out there. <laughs> I actually polled a couple trucking buddies about this interpretation of the nanner pudding. Neither of these guys are Boy Scouts, but they both said they thought it was just pudding. End of story. For Karen and Miss Evelyn, it's the same. Just pudding. But for many drivers, I know there remains this certain mystique around the Southern woman. She calls some flatbedder from Michigan baby over the CB and he just melts cause ain't nobody calling him baby up there in Flint. So the nanner pudding becomes an extension of all that, whether anything comes of it or not. There's still one more twist in this nanner pudding thing, but before we get there, I want to share a little more of Genevieve's story. So after a shift, she leads us down a series of winding country roads. Well, this is my work home here in East Burnstead. 
What she calls her work home is an RV trailer parked on a friend's property. Her actual home is in Hyden, Kentucky, more than an hour east of here in the mountains. I work two days on, two days off at the 49er. I leave my home at 5.30 a.m. I arrive at the 49er at 6.45. I get off work after a 12-hour shift and sometimes longer, and then I go back to work the next morning. And when I get off work, I drive an hour and 15 minutes to return back to my hometown. And I've been doing that for quite some time. (laughs) She does all that to support her family. And that's an important thing to remember about these mom-and-pop truck stops. For women like Janet and Genevieve, these places offer just enough money to raise four kids all on their own in a part of the country that doesn't have a lot of other opportunities. Oh, I grew up in the most beautiful place in the world. It, there was no, There's no other place on the planet like it. Genevieve comes from coal country. It's lots of mountains, coal mining, good people. I grew up in a coal camp, what they call a coal camp. Uh, There was 10 houses on one side of us, 10 on the other. My father worked in a coal mine. It was probably no taller than what the table is right over there on his hands and knees. He worked for a dollar a day. And then he got raised up to $3 a day, and we thought we were rich. He saved up enough money to uh, buy a little house with a grocery store on it. That's where Genevieve worked her first job, serving up lunch for the coal miners. But I I got married young and divorced young and made a family and had to take care of my children. She was 13 when she had her first child, 19 when she got divorced. Then I went to work in the coal mines. I'd get dirty and black and coal dirt all over me and little black things in your eyes that you couldn't get out and your hands were pitiful looking and... It was rough for a woman. Rough. I was a tomboy, I guess. I did everything Daddy did. And he'd use me for an example. He'd tell them grown men, if you worked as hard as that girl right there did, then we'd get something done. And so now, how did you wind up working at the 49er? I was just going to Lexington one day and stopped there to get gas. And they had a sign in the window that said they needed a waitress, so I applied. That's a long commute, though, from Hyden. There's no, uh, over there where I live at, it's just a little small town, and there's, where the coal mining's went down so bad and things like that, there's just not a lot of jobs. There's not a lot of work at all. There's, what, three gas stations, a couple of restaurants, two or three pharmacies, and one red light. There's no hope. (laughs) There's no hope of landing a job there. And God knows if I ever made it successful in life, I'm gonna figure out how how to get jobs to those people. Yes, I would. That would be my number one goal, is to take out a few mountains and put an interstate in. Because if you don't have your interstate, you can't get the goods to the people to make things successful in your community. I'm really struck when she says that about putting an interstate right through those mountains. I mean, what some might see as destroying the beauty of this place, she sees as its only hope. But then again, it kind of makes sense because that's where Genevieve found her job, working at a truck stop by the interstate. And back to the Nanner Putin. And then out of nowhere... Genevieve brings us back to the Nanner Pudding. Yes. Uh, After we spoke today, earlier, I was speaking with Mark. He's the kitchen manager at the 49er. And Mark said the banana pudding would have to go all the way back to the 62 to Miss Evelyn. Because she's the oldest truck stop in this area of the three. And that banana pudding would have to start with her. Well, I'd say, for the purposes of this podcast at least, we can call the question settled. Credit has to go where credit is due, and the credit goes to Miss Evelyn. Still, I know there will always be those diehard holdouts who will never be swayed on this subject, no matter the evidence. My buddy mine said it started up there in Kentucky. Now, this started in Georgia. There's an old saying in trucking. And this is the kind of thing you see printed on coffee mugs and keychains. 
that arguing with a truck driver is like wrestling a pig in the mud. Sooner or later, you realize the pig just likes it. So out here, I'm afraid the nanner nanner pudding feud will never truly be settled. Just a couple days after that conversation with Genevieve, I'm passing through Kentucky again on my way to Florida. As long as these three truck stops are hanging on, it's always a tough call which one I should stop at for dinner. But on this night, I pull off at exit 49. Part of the draw here is that this truck stop is located smack dab in the middle of the Daniel Boone National Forest. And there's a walking trail right behind the restaurant. Once when I didn't know Genevieve well, I told her I was going to hike that mountain behind the stop. She said, mountain? You mean that driveway? There was no way I could live down being a Hoosier flatlander after that. To Genevieve, this is no mountain. A ridge, maybe, but not a mountain. There's a hard hill at the beginning, and then it levels out. Deep in the forest, you can't hear the interstate anymore, and the trees get very thick. Then after two and a half miles of this, at the end of that walk is a perfectly manicured family cemetery. So you might think you're in the wilderness, but you're really not. People live out here. Genevieve is right, I know. It takes more than just a little ridge behind a truck stop to make a mountain. The night of our interview, and she and her husband Dewey invited us into their immaculate home. They sang us this song, and I could hear their real mountains in their voices. Lonely Heart Road is the road Daddy lives on. He's been living here. Since mommy went home, he sure misses her a lot. Her memories, all he's gone. Lonely heart road is the road daddy lives on. When you work over the road, you consign yourself to a life of relational brevity. All these people you meet, Genevieve, Janet, Karen, people who should just be passing acquaintances, they become endeared to you. Just knowing they'll still be there becomes a personal treasure, something you look forward to in an otherwise throwaway world. You come to admire them, the people and the truck stops for their fierce resilience. There's parochial pride in claiming, yes, I knew Janet back when she was CB viral, luring in the freight haulers like so many flies. There's real satisfaction in recounting the days when Karen and her late husband Abner, up at the 76, used to grill out at the fuel island, feeding drivers like me and not even charging a dime. Her picture. And he holds her sometimes. You don't even will yourself into this family. It just happens. Just like how Kathy and I started talking over our meal at the 76. And sometimes when those relationships are lost, when the truck stop closes and those people are gone to you forever, as if into the ether, there's a kind of death. For itinerants like me, it can be a cause for mourning. Here on Lonely Hard Road. Lonely Hard Road is the road Daddy lives on. He's been living here since 
my mommy went home. He's your missus, her a lot, her memories all he's gone. Lonely hard road is the road daddy lives on. Lonely hard road is the road daddy died on. Next week on the show, our producer Lacey Jane Roberts is taking you out to Montana to meet the family. Did you miss your husband? Oh, yeah. And they miss their dad, too. We'll be talking about how trucking affects those closest to us, our partners and children. (laughs) So you were the bad cop and he was the good cop? (laughs) Yeah, back in the days, yeah. (laughs) Thanks to everyone who entrusted us with their stories, and especially to Genevieve and Dewey, who entrusted us with their song, Lonely Heart Road. We'll catch you next time, Over the Road. Our over-the-road pit crew includes producer and sound designer Ian Koss and contributing producer Lacey Roberts at Transmitter Media. Our editor from Overdrive Magazine is Todd Dills. Our digital producer is Aaron Wade. Our project manager is Audrey Martovich. And our executive producer for Radiotopia is Julie Shapiro. I'm Long Haul Paul. It's Todd Dills back with you with a little bit of a coda to this episode. Paul Marhover's fresh out this week with a new song inspired in part by the stories of some of the folks you met in this week's episode. Well, You're hearing it here me. under my voice right now. She was just 13. Never had a lot of nothing. But she kept us fed and clean. She bore my brother and my sister to that coal camp home. She was just 19 when daddy left us all alone. Down in town. Work to find, so she rolled on down into a deep dark mine through an itty bitty hole, barely three by three. She brought the money home for brother, sister, and me. Yum, yum, screaming through the night, northbound, left, southbound, right. Come and get you some of the southern recipe. 67 watts of sizzle and mystique. It's the first in a new series of songs that Marhofer recorded in August and is releasing over time via his YouTube channel. Find a link to where you can listen to it in full. In the show notes uh, with this episode, visit overdriveonline.com where you'll find plenty more from Marhofer, no doubt. Uh, and you can sign up to see, receive our daily newsletter featuring trucking news, views, and analysis geared toward current and prospective owner-operators and small fleet owners. Overdrive Radio itself is a production of Overdrive Magazine. The podcast is edited and produced by myself, Todd Dills, with no small amount of support from Mr. Marhofer, Overdrive Editorial Director Max Heine, Social Media Coordinator Holly Young, News Editor Matt Cole, and Executive Editor James Gillette. You can find more from our over-the-road partners at Radiotopia via radiotopia.fm. Until next time, keep it pro out there.